0: The stock Talk podcast, where topics are covered and questions are answered across all parts of the show stock
1: industry. Get ready to learn and laugh with your hosts, Trevor Kirkpatrick and Corey Edge.
2: Holy buckets. Here we go. Uh, well, the exposition is going on right now, and yep. I've been pretty excited to watch that uh, on Walton, of course first time in a long time that i have not been there so i'm watching from a distance uh getting pretty busy here in ohio so i could not get away but super pumped and thankful for walton of course uh i heard jim mccoy i heard kevin went i heard a lot of mentors so it's nice when you have not only a good livestock to watch but also familiar voices to hear
3: yeah for sure um the the week at the exposition i i got to spend uh Uh, A couple of days there, and uh, it's crazy to me uh, that the Indiana State Fairgrounds can host a show of that magnitude. For those that are interested or wanting to know, there is 5,500 head uh, between the junior and the open shows that were entered there. So uh, quite the the numbers as far as the exposition is concerned. And, uh, you know, in my world, we're gearing up, uh, you know, here next week for summer type conference and the uh, national junior show for team purebred it is the uh, season i love it There's one. yeah it it really is and i'm a. yeah it's gonna be a whirlwind here um i never thought that i would be okay with there not being a pig show for a month or two <laughs> I'm, I'm there
2: yeah i'm there it's a different <laughs> uh, optics when you're actually employed by it but Uh, I I was wanting to do a fun thing. So if you're listening to this and you're at the exposition in Indy, we do have a Snapchat filter. Um, so how about you flood our Snapchats, use our filter, send it to us. Uh, since I can't be there, that's kind of selfishly one way that I can kind of see what's going on. So yeah, use the filter. Say what's up.
3: Uh, what's our hat inventory look like? We've got some. All right. How about this? Send stock talk a Snapchat with a stock talk filter while you're at the expo. We will screenshot those and we will pick a random winner. The best to one. How book.
2: about the best? Yeah. 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 How
3: about, all right. Yeah. Most creative Snapchat with a stock talk filter. Love it. At expo gets uh, gets a hat. I love
2: it. Um, So uh, we can kind of knock all of our excellent, excellent, partners and sponsors out in one big swoop because not only do you have Walton webcasting that keeps me entertained uh, while watching the shows here from Ohio that have incredible content of the people who they have commentating the show. And I get to see everything like everywhere else that they go. They're amazing people. Yeah. But then yeah. if you're at the exposition, you can stop by the Showpig.com booth and check that out. Um, shameless plug here. Buckeye livestock expo is happening uh, the 26th and 27th of June, we're going to have a trailer spot auction on the 21st on showpig.com. So you don't you just go. have to have livestock to sell things. Um, old equipment used, you know, use some use livestock. I'm big.
3: I'm big in, I'm big in these used livestock sales oh, man. on showpig. It's, uh, actually, I really hope that there's some that pop up on show connection.com too. Yes. Because, uh, edge livestock uh official name change to come soon uh-huh edge livestock as uh we do have officially have uh five heifer calves on the farm officially i love a hill i saw so,
2: doug's uh facebook there the other day that's yeah, incredible we
3: need some turbo we need some turbo fans in a bad way <laughs> so any, anybody out there actually that might have a hookup to some cattle equipment i mean we've got we got some to get us by, but uh, to say that we were fully prepared for having cattle uh, at the farm probably isn't very accurate. We were not fully prepared. Yeah, we uh, we've got we got a nice uh, run for them. They're under a fan. They just just need a little bit more.
2: Yeah. Well, they looked rambunctious in Doug's deal, uh, kicking yeah, around and excited. being all excited. So awesome. Well, um, we've been using the the hotline here. Uh, with our new phone number. So um, I'm telling you guys, this is this has been fun for us. We're only getting a couple. Um, so I hope that you've got your pen and pad ready or your phone. Uh, give us a shout, 234-320-0457. That's 234-320-0457. That's our Stock Talk podcast hotline. And we are excited for a... Really interesting hotline, uh, what do we want to call it? Just a, a hotline caller. A
3: hotline caller.
2: Yeah, why not? Here we go.
1: As Max looks from Illinois. Uh, I'm not going to call myself the OG of Freedom Shipping Show, but I'm more like the idiot that stumbled across a decent idea for once uh, while rolling down the highway. Uh, love you guys are uh, doing what you're doing, and uh, we're glad to have you back. Wednesday mornings, uh, definitely have something on the calendar consistently again. Um, for everybody listening, I'm not saying that what I had to say is scripture. However, um, I think when we kind of step back and view the industry from 20,000 feet, um, there's some people around here uh, that, that are in the industry that maybe aren't the greatest role models. Um, and there's a vetting system that we have to make as participants in this industry to make sure that we're aligning with the right kind of people. And I guess as it, Corey and Kirky's friends, what makes me so proud not only of their accomplishments and their contributions to uh, public media and livestock, what makes me so proud of their friend is these guys are incredible people. And they're great role models for young folks. And they're going to keep moving and shaking and moving up the line um, in this industry. So proud of you guys. Um, and what you've contributed um and you've done it the right way. So congrats on that. Just got done listening to Hilti's episode, talk about a guy with some vision and a mindset that's like way beyond anything I can conceptualize. His story about seventeen four about gave me chills, just you know, that thought process. And I thought a real good reading ship from him would be uh really good Yorkshire Barrett Sires from the last decade. We'll start with seventeen four. We'll put him on that list. I think that makes a bunch of sense for, with his contributions. Uh, another one, we'll use untouchable in there. And then the, uh, third one, we'll do high country. Those, that that's one So, uh, breed them, ship them, show them. Yorkshire boars of the last decade, Barrisires, Moonshine 17.4, untouchable and high country. Breed one, ship one, show one. See ya.
3: How do you max first of all thank you that was uh very heartfelt and we appreciate the kind words long time listener uh not first time caller yes uh, <laughs> but um listen you stick us with the breed em, ship them show them that is very challenging yeah now i think Hilty might Hilty might kill me for this oh boy i'm gonna go for her. All right.
2: Go yeah, go for it.
3: All right. <clears throat> okay, never. I, I don't know. Trev, this is a tough one. Okay, so if I'm thinking, he said Max specifically said Showberry. Yes, Showberry okay. Sires. Showberry Sires. Now, not saying that 17.4 did not sire great Barras, but his biggest probably influence is uh the sons and the daughters as far as seed stock is concerned that went back into production mm. am i wrong or am i right no i mean yeah
2: yes and no. i mean i'm I,
3: he, he won some bearish shows i i mean i'm not saying he did. so here's the interesting thing because you have untouchable and high country there and i think if you want to talk about a yorkshire boar that is won a ton of bearish shows I mean, high country has got to be probably in the top five.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And then you get untouchable and the touchable sons, and those things get in there. So it's tough for me. But I feel like if I were to breed one, ship one, show one. I'm probably just for the sake of the diverse population of pigs you can get. I'm probably going to breed seventeen four yes and then you're probably not going to go wrong with high country or untouchable in the show ring but i think as far as like hype and having like a show bear look i feel like high country shown as like a young boar Probably would have looked really cool. So I'm gonna I'm gonna show High Country. I'm for whatever reason I'm shipping Untouchable. I don't know how I arrived <laughs> at that point, but that's just what happened. So
2: yeah. Well, I mean, High Country has Moonshine Seventeen Four in his pedigree. So
3: yeah. So so you really can't you can't really ship one and yeah
2: not, yeah yeah it exactly
3: really eliminates your I I I would have to
2: I mean I feel like we do this a lot, but we we also think a lot alike. I would have to agree with you about. Breeding 174 because the the guy that boar has some some pieces that are hard to make even today with his skull and density of forearm and being rugged and uh could use some of that even today. Um, yeah. I, I I'm rolling right the same with you. Nothing against untouchable. I think that hog obviously made a large impact, but um I guess I'm digging real deep into the 17.4 lineage. And
3: I think, yeah, yeah. I think well, High Country and, would be yeah, fine. Yeah, if you're going to do that, I mean, you've got to have High Country instead. Like, if I guess if you could, I guess you could have 17.4 and ship him and just say, hey, I've got High Country now, so I don't need 17.4. True. Whatever. But- anyway very a good one very interesting take uh we are kind of going down the show pig rabbit hole however trevor we have a guest here that most probably would would recognize as far as livestock species go would recognize from the show pig world uh from the purebred swine world however uh a large majority know him uh for his um, three and a half decades uh, in academia livestock judge coaching um and and judging shows
2: yeah yep and th- you know this is this can be all species here and i know there's some focus with the show pig background and i don't want this to sound like a raw rah bhe episode either because our guest today has a lot of experience uh and incredible stories might i add so um hang tight Listen to this one, because I think there there's a lot of fun here. So, Mr. Edge,
3: bring him in. This this is pretty much like trying to introduce Van Hook for me, uh, where I don't have a whole lot to say, because I think the legend speaks for itself. How about we just jump right in this episode of Stock Talk with none other than the legend himself, Big D, Lee Denzer.
2: All right, C edge. I'm pumped for this one. A lot of, a lot of people know this guy, but I'm going to let you guide us into this episode because, uh, we do have a legend among us.
3: (laughs) We do. Uh, and Lee will never admit to this, but Denzer in the history of the Edge family has gone back for several decades now, Uh, and mostly because when my dad attended Blackhawk, and my mom as well, um, from stories that I have heard, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Denzer, but Doug was scared to ask Lisa out on a date, and she had had enough of it, and, and I think went and talked to Denzer and Hug both and uh, eventually got him to ask her on a date. So here we are today, 28 years, nine years, probably 30 years later. And uh, we're excited. Lee and I have talked to Yeah, it was pretty days. fun.
0: It was pretty funny, you know, back then, because I think Doug was uh, Lisa's big brother. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and it was like, and Lisa kept coming into my office complaining that Doug wasn't helping her enough, or she wasn't understanding. And, they were bickering back and forth. And I don't know. Doug came in and he says, I just don't know how to get through to her. And I said, Well, I think it's pretty obvious that you guys like each other more than you realize. I'd ask her out. And that, I was kind of being smart, but I was also being sincere. I knew that there was a I knew that there was a flicker of lightning there. And so it uh it just happened to work out really cool. So so I may I guess I do have a very small ember of light uh in your life there Corey. so but, well thank uh, you Jim. yep and i <laughs> and i'm honored you know i'm honored to have that distinction i think the world of you and i think the world of your mom and dad and your your entire family grandma and grandpa and all, all the above so happy to be here
3: well, we uh we're we're excited to have you on and i was I was telling dad that we were going to record with you, and I said, is there any old Denzer stories that we should tell? And he said, probably none that you could probably put on the airwaves.
0: (laughs) We had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun.
3: (laughs) For those that don't know, just to clarify, my mom and dad are not brother and sister. There's a program (laughs) the Blackhawk and the judging team that, you know, uh, an older, uh, you know, sophomore is paired with a freshman coming in, and they call it kind of a brother sister program. So just to, just to be clear, there's no inbreeding in the Edge family that I'm aware of. So I just want to put that up there. That is good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't. I don't, I don't think that's a <laughs> that that doesn't go on a Blackhawk that we know of.
3: <laughs> no. No. Not at all. So uh, let's talk about Denzer pre Blackhawk. How did you get your start in the livestock industry, and and where did you where did you get the passion for your career that you have or have had so far?
0: Uh, I was pretty lucky. I Had a great mom and dad, and uh, my I had three brothers. We grew up on the family farm, like so many people my age, and uh, you know we had dairy, we had pigs, we had cattle, and uh, and a grain, corn, and soybeans, hay, and so forth. And uh, I. Uh, a neighbor of ours had some durocs and I I was just always intrigued with the pigs uh, for some reason and so my dad knew how competitive the durocs were like at the state fair and and at the county fair level and he he always liked Poland China's my dad he just thought they were they were pretty cool and so my first sow was a Poland China sow and and I still remember my mom coming to my fourth grade class when she farrowed and then that was my first 4-H project but speed that ahead that's where really my Poland China interest started and then um, we all my brothers and I we showed some Poland's at different times during our 4-H career but as far as me getting involved in coaching teaching and where I grew up it really kind of all starts with an accident to be believe it or not I I was a definitely don't want this to sound boastful but I was a really good athlete at a young age Um, baseball basketball football I was a quarterback of our football team like in junior high and we won the city championship and I was like most valuable camper as a basketball camp um, at Illinois State when I was 13 14 and um, that was pretty much my life other than being from the farm and we played baseball nearly every night uh my brothers and i in some different league and we were all we were all pretty respectable and uh and then i got into a farm accident and i broke my leg and uh and uh that put sports to a little bit of a halt and then i worked really hard to make myself get all the way back and then i believe it or not i got all the way back in ninth grade i played well, I didn't grow, I quit growing, but I was about 5'10 when I was younger. That age, 5'10 was pretty tall back then. And, uh, but what really hurt me was that on baseball, the spring of my freshman year in high school, I broke my other leg. And so I went to a high school, I went to Normal Community High School in the Bloomington Normal area in Illinois. And, you know, we had 500 kids in our class. And so, you know, injuries just played a really large role. And if you were gonna be able to compete at that level. And so, anyway, that led to me meeting some other people in high school. One was, his name was Carl Neubauer, who uh, still farms in the Bloomington area and was involved in showing and judging. and, And then probably the most important person, Jeff Adams, who used to be with Adams and Dreyer back in the late 80s and 90s with their steers and and i jeff uh took me in and it was basically jeff adams brian hawes from hawes angus and leroy illinois and and they were on the county team and they kept bugging me so we need a fourth person really bad and i'll be darn if they kind of bugged me and i said i'm not interested and finally they bugged me enough that i got on the 4-h judging team and then i got more involved in ffa and I've always been competitive and whatever I do. And anyway, so that kind of, that led to a different line of competition. And then by golly, we won our McLean County, won our state county contest. We went to Kansas city and then I made the Illinois 4-H team. And then when I got the university of Illinois, I got lucky enough to be one of the better judges on meats and livestock. And then Dr. Doug Parrott asked me to go to graduate school and and be an assistant coach with University of Illinois and also coached the Illinois 4-H team. And that was in the early eighties. And then I was really fortunate. Uh, I'd met Dan Hogue along the way, but, um, and Dan and I got to be very close when I started coaching cause he helped me so much get workouts set up. And so, and he always said that we were, we were welcome. So it always worked out to join the U of I or Blackhawk or both. Um, so it really worked out well that way. And so I got close with Dan, I still am today. And um, he took a liking to me for whatever reason and we just got along really well. And at that time, uh, we Blackhawk was starting to send more students to the U of I. And that was really before we started sending them all over the United States. And so some of the very first, because that's our land grant school, and that was our main accreditation school from Black Hawk transfer kids. So from there, we went to, uh, you know, we had some kids come and the kids that were seniors, when I was a junior starting on the livestock judging team at Illinois, they had three or four really good blackhawk kids on that team and they did well they were third or fourth at louisville in the top three or four at kansas city and then uh, my year i had a couple of. we didn't have as many but jeff adams was a transfer from blackhawk and uh we had some we had some other kids that uh transferred so we ended up between the combination of a few u of i kids and some transfer kids we had a good a nice team and then my first year in graduate school blackhawk had an awesome team in 1980, 80, 81 was the best team ever until Blake Bloomberg and Ravenna Bloomberg and uh, uh, Tyler Weingartner and uh, Brandon Yance, a lot of people that are judging a lot of shows now and several others, John DeClerc were a a member of a really good team, Chad Horsley, I could go on and on in 2004, 2005 that won all the nationals contests. at that time, they won three. Well, all of them transferred to U of I, and I'll be darn, I was happened to be the assistant coach, and we won Louisville. And uh, that's the last time the U of I has won Louisville. They've been close many times, but uh, so that's how I basically kind of got started. And then I, um, anyway, that's where I got started. Then I ended up going to the U of I graduate school, and I never dreamt in a million years I would end up being a teacher because. I really didn't like school. Most of the teachers irritated me. So I, and <laughs> somehow or another, I ended up teaching for two years at July at junior college and Hogue recruited me to come to Blackhawk. And here we are 30 years <laughs> later, 35 years later, I guess. So,
2: wow. So you really, did you show much when you were growing up to get started or?
0: uh We showed pretty much, uh you know, we got pretty serious with our Polans, you know, like we had champ, my three of the four of us, had champion Poland guild at the state fair wow. the junior show, year. which, and at our County fair, we had champion. And we also, you know, I, it's kind of weird for me to say back then, cause I still feel young and I, I consider myself young. Um, but we had, you showed litters and pairs of bears and stuff like that. And we, we took that stuff pretty serious. And so we, you know, we, we hung in there and we started showing a few crossbreds and we always showed some steers and, most of the time my dad wasn't in you know it cost so much even then to be show steers and we were just a traditional family working family and uh we would just have uh steers that we would feed like for a premiere contest or a performance type contest and but i really learned the cattle industry from a core of people jeff adams carl neubauer um then Doug Parrott, Dick Jergens would be another one that was in McLean County area. And so less real, some might remember, but there were just a lot of uh, adults that really helped us a lot when we we're in that area. And then I, I love the cattle industry. I just love going, I went to Kansas City for the first time. And when we judged there in 1977 and I watched the cattle show for two days and I was just mesmerized by it and then when I got interested in, I really became really good at evaluating carcasses when I got on the meats team and, um, anyway, it just kind of took off, I guess, from there, but showing, uh, I've always been involved in showing and, you know, then I didn't even think about judging a show. I, you know, in college, it wasn't even like, it didn't even really come up, you know, like Lee, would you like to, it, I got asked to judge a show. It was a steer show. Uh, down at southern Illinois, probably an hour and a half south of Champaign. And I had no idea you got paid. They gave me a hundred dollar bill and man, I thought I was loaded. I thought, man, this is this is off. And I'm not telling mom and dad about this hundred bucks, no way. <laughs> and and I got judged more then after that and more and more and more and then was that your first judging
3: experience then? Yeah, outside
0: yep. of college? Wow. Outside of coaching my first show was uh, my first I judged a steer show an open steer show. Uh, I can't say the town, but it was south of, uh, south of, uh, it was in Lakeland territory. It was south of uh, Mattoon, like near Effingham. But I can't, I can't say the county, but my first show in Indiana, though, was I know for sure was in, uh, was about 1983 or so. I judged a really nice steer show. And, uh, What's do Steve Alfordstown, town, uh, Newcastle, or oh yeah, yeah, somewhere over there. I, and that was a, that was kind of an introduction to the big time. I got got my attitude pretty good after the show for being a dumbass. <laughs> but, but I learned, you know, you just take it, and go on. And as right. I got, I used to take it really personal. As I got older, I just underneath my breath, I said, I would just say, you're entitled to your opinion. I don't like you anyway, so whatever. <laughs> you know yeah and usually it would be a lot worse than that but as I got older I just told them right to their face I said you know if you want it if they wanted your opinion they would have asked you to judge so
3: there you go there's uh there's a lot of young people now that you know you you mentioned how when you got out of out of college and started coaching you didn't even think about judging shows like that's that seems to be a major goal of a lot of kids now is like, I want to be able to judge shows and evaluate shows. And it's funny that you grew up showing pigs and raising hogs, but your first show was a County fair steer show, open steer show. And uh, what, do you remember your first pig show? Uh,
0: my first big, my first big show of any magnitude is I judged the Indiana Semitale, uh, junior heifer show. Um, and uh, and I can't even tell you for sure what town it was in but near Indianapolis at the county fairgrounds, but it was it was a it was a serious, nice show. Um, and then my biggest show, as far as a national type show, my biggest show, I judged the Polands at the World Pork Expo in like 1989. So I was pretty cranked to judge you know, be able to judge a I judged a lamb show state fair lamb show, state fair pig show, and a state fair cattle show and the national and a national pig show before I was 30, which wow I was uh-huh. pretty proud of back then, but I didn't nowadays that seems like it's nothing, but back then that was nobody under 30 was judging. And nobody and I'll be honest, I didn't even know I never even thought about judging shows when I was in in competition. And I never dreamt you got paid to do it. And when I went to the first couple shows and they got paid, I pretty much started doing it for the money because I didn't have, you know, I just didn't have the money. I'm like, even if they pay me a hundred bucks or fifty bucks, I'm going. And uh, so I went to some pretty small, uh, unprepared counties sometimes, but you know, I and but I do believe as I grew through that experience, I know it made me a much better coach, a much better teacher. And I mean, it's left up to others, you know, how you judge, but I know I was a much more confident judge once I got a chance to judge some of the bigger shows. And then really in the mid nineties, all from the early nineties, all the way through to about 2010, I judged a lot and probably, you know, I judged a lot.
2: Yeah. and so Well, to be able to do all those and, and spread out species, that's pretty awesome. Quick break in the action, folks. Uh, I need to tell you about our continued support that comes from Tarbell Marketing and Design. Jace Tarbell is a marketing genius, and we keep saying that. You're not going to know it until you utilize His services. Go to ChooseTMD.com right now. Pick up your phone and do it because Tarbell Marketing and Design is doing next level things. They're not just slapping a logo on your Facebook now. It's more than that. It's a competitive industry and you need to be on top of it with Tarbell Marketing and Design. ChooseTMD.com of people know you now uh through a bhe at blackhawk and and what you've done there and all the students that you you've helped throughout the experiences and all that and uh we, we might as well dive into to the blackhawk uh side of things because um there's a lot of stories that come out of there obviously uh we met you out there Corey and i did and i will never forget uh one of the the, the biggest things i wanted to cover today was your barn that you have out there uh and yep. i and I my know. My Hawk hat on now. There you go. He, he for those listening, we're we're sitting here yeah. on Zoom, and and he put on the blackhawk hat. So things are getting serious. Yeah, I'll put my blackhawk hat on. now. <laughs> but so. um, Denzer has the barn, and when we started out there, core, I wasn't sure what that meant. And uh, boy, oh boy, uh, it was a huge blessing to us. We got to house some hogs out there. I think we've talked about it on uh, some ex- uh, some past episodes, but. This is one of the many topics that uh as far as BHE goes that we wanted to cover. But uh how did that come about? I know you've kind of in the past you've had some some kids who wanted to show hogs during school but couldn't go back home. Me, prime example, we took a Duroc Gilt down to Perry. I couldn't obviously put her in the basement of Country North, so we had to find somewhere for her. Uh and yeah. and it sounds like that that has uh been pretty Pretty awesome for a lot of kids to do that. So let's let's start there and about that barn and and what what am I talking about? Help these people learn about it.
0: Yep. Well, uh, Mark and Dave Wilson farm just south. The, the, the my farm is five miles south, almost exactly on seventy eight from the campus. And uh, Mark Wilson and Dave Wilson relatives owned it, and they they had. Basically, just commercial pigs on there, and I was fortunate enough. In 2002, I became the department chair for the Applied Sciences Department at Blackhawk. It was at that time I thought it was a, you know, a, kind of a big deal, and it was a promotion. And I thought I could help our program move forward. And I still think some of the things that I did during that time frame have really paid huge dividends over time, but one of them was I hired Andy rash and Andy and I are still close, but, and I know Andy's judging everywhere and selling pigs for God knows what, and <laughs> his kids do well and all of the above. And, and some of you, Andy is unbelievably bright, unbelievably brash at times. Um, I remind him that a humble pill wouldn't hurt once in a while, but uh, <laughs> he is genuinely one of the really, really good guys in, in my circle uh, especially since he lives in this area, uh, we talk pretty, pretty much every day, but he, I talked him into coming to Blackhawk based on a whim and not for much money. And I'll be darned. He worked it out with a feed company to start feeding some pigs down at this little pig farm of Wilson's cause nothing was on it. And that was like in 2003, 2004, 2005. And then I started my son, Joshua got the age to show and Andy ranch and Joe Magus helped me get a couple pigs. And then the next year it ended up being about six pigs. And then it grew from there. And then I, it came up by Mark and Dave. They asked me if, and then Andy got a job with Cargill and Brian Arnold came after that in this January of 06. And so changes were happening then. And then basically, um, Josh was showing enough. And then I had some kids from Ohio that uh, were really interested in just working part-time. And Mark Wilson asked me if I wanted to buy the barn, buy the farm, which is two acres. And I ended up buying the farm. Those kids, re, some kids from school, just part-time work remodeled it into kind of a little show barn. And then Joshua and, and I, we showed pigs through 2010 and then he got allergies so bad that it was just hard for him to show. And I said, we don't have to do this if you don't want. So we, we backed off that. And that's the time frame basically from two thousand nine, two thousand ten, or even in the winter. If I didn't have any pigs there, you know, I'd let some kids bring their pigs or a goat or a lamb or whatever, and uh, down to the farm. And then now, uh, now. 2017 i got back into um in 2017 i went to a couple of poland china shows and i just decided i thought i could make a difference in the breed and help i really the poland breed has been a breed that is pretty traditional and pretty old school in some areas and a lot of the same breeders uh and i thought that I could make a difference. I knew that my brothers would be interested to come to shows and just uh, and then I lost my brother Adam in 2008 and he was our Poland China person and had continued to raise and sell Poland China's um, and do well at some of the national shows when he showed but when he passed it left a little bit of a void and so I went to a couple of shows I thought I could make a difference and now I'm now I'm back with the, I've shown been, I'm involved with Polands now again, and I have polls at the farm. Uh, it's kind of full circle, you could say. So I'm pretty, pretty crank. So that's kind of how that has all evolved. It's full circle. This year, we have a new young coach, Tim Hubbard, and he's pretty, has some, does very well with his lambs. And so one of my barns, I let him, uh, we made an agreement. And he sold a lot of lambs out of there. So I'm always trying to help people. You know, sometimes I ask my, tell myself I'm way too nice, but I'm always trying to help people. If they want a place, you know, I'll try to help them best I can, but that's kind of the evolution of the barn. And I will say that the barn, I got it recited a couple of years ago. I'm getting a lean twos recited this year. It's not going to look like Denzer barn. It's going to be a destination there pretty quick. It's there we pretty, go. I may even yeah. Without front where, Oh, I don't know, to say Team Denzer or something. As Team Denzer came up with, uh, evolved a few years ago from from some students. It was when the year my dad passed away, and I was desperate for the my Beef Expo for help. And dad passed a couple days. You know, Our services were like Wednesday. I had to have everything organized for the Beef Expo Friday. And the kids were like, we'll be ten- Team Denzer. We'll come through for you. We'll, don't worry about us. So then that's kind of how team denzers evolved and we i kind of use that as some of the young kids that show some of my pigs and so i'm pretty crank for the summer conference it was next, always
3: next week denzers so. barn was always a point when you're going on if you're coming from the east and you're heading towards kewanee illinois denzers barn was a reference point to know hey i'm <laughs> i'm almost there because that stretch from 74 to what's that
0: 34 uh, 74 on to take on 78. 78 yeah. Yes, that
3: forever. stretch of 78. It, <laughs> at, at two o'clock in the morning is a long trip after you're on <laughs> weekend at home and you knew if you hit Denver's Barn, you were getting close. Uh, yep. Trevor and I were talking. Uh, well, Trevor alluded to it. You know, the uh, the year that uh, was it, uh, myself, Trevor, Grattert. Lenig. I think it was just the four of us that had pigs in there, wasn't it?
2: I think so. Yep.
3: And and we went down to Perry and we had the Johnson. Champion Johnson, Johnson so, had Johnson, Tyler Johnson, yep. And and everybody won their class. We had a couple division champions. We had a champion champion hampshire guild, the high seller of the sale. And uh the that I remember we had to walk pigs in two foot of snow one time. It was uh, it was a trip, and that was before the new siding got put up and everything like that, oh, so yeah. there was a craft in there. Uh, we spent a lot of money on LLP and getting, yeah. getting that put together. But, uh, no, that was, that was a lot of fun. But there is a story that we have heard uh, told by several people. I don't know if we've heard it come straight from Denzer, but we've heard it from several people about a boar that ended up making a (laughs) name for himself that came out of that barn Denzer. Do you know what we're talking
1: about?
0: Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Uh, Thought I had my notes here somewhere. Anyway, basically uh, in the winter months, I just didn't do much, you know, out there. And if you want to irritate me, just drop something off at the farm without telling me, (laughs) you know, and that, that is probably one of And I, you guys know me, I like to think I'm happy go lucky. I, you know, I might be serious and have my mind focused on a goal, but I, I tell people, I said, you know, I really, really genuinely try to be nice all the time and be, try to be helpful. Those are kind of my living things that I try to live by. And, uh, but i really get irritated if someone drops something off at the farm number one i want to make sure they're taken care of number two just from a general animal husbandry make sure they're vaccinated you know they get you know hopefully get like an exceed and a wor- get wormed and all the above just get something to make sure we can keep them going and uh, i didn't even know anything was at the farm and uh kane cosmaker uh, was coming by the school and he stopped by the school and he goes Denzer. You've got two pigs back. You've got two pigs in that back barn. And they're about to die. And I said, "What?" And he goes, "I'm worried that the health department or the USDA might get wind of it and you could get in trouble." And I'm just I'm totally confused and I'm totally upset. I'm not going to say who who put the pigs there. But I went down there and by the time I got there one of them was dead and the other one, I mean, I swear to God, He was a Yorkshire boar and I mean, he was not, he probably weighed 60 pounds, maybe. And he had like inch long hair on the top of his spine. And he, I mean, he couldn't have been like more than three inches thick. I mean, he was, I didn't know if he was gonna live, but now I at least knew he was there. So I started just, you know, Joshua was at home then, and between the two of us, we made sure he was fed and watered morning and night. And I just started giving him shots like crazy. I mean, I I must have went through a couple bottles of penicillin. I went <laughs> through, you know, I was trying to use things that if he did die, you know, I we were probably gonna have to bury him. So, uh, but I, you know, and I used some linco and and uh, you know I wormed him and. I know one night I gave him more medicine than was on any label. And I said, you're either gonna live or you're not. Cause I, i <laughs> I'm like, I want you to live, but I mean, we got to go here. And at that time, nobody was coming back and forth to farm. So I'm like, I don't, this is the most, I didn't know for the longest time who'd even dropped him off. And uh, so this was in the spring, like in February, okay. And so March comes along and he starts living. We put him in the main barn and we get him stacked with, you know, straw. And, you know, I didn't have heat right then that year, but he was warm. And by golly, he's, he's, he's started living in it. And I made fun to Josh. I said, you know, for a boar that's been left for dead, I said, this boar, it's really not that bad. I said, he's pretty correct you know, he's actually got a little bone. I said, he's, he's not a horrible boar. So as the spring started, I put him out in one of my big pens all by himself. And I put a self feeder out there and I had like 16, 16% uh, percent in a self feeder. I just let him have it. And he had full water, full feed. Well, I'm mowing out there. I'd mow once a week or twice a week, especially early in the spring. And I kept driving by and I'm like, and I kept giving him shots, you know, making sure every three weeks I'd warm him again, or, you know, maybe give him a shot of Linko or something just to keep him going. And by golly, he started really coming on. And I'm like, I can't believe this boar, this boar might have some value. So then you guys will appreciate this and you won't, and I can probably say this, but I'm sure some people will be offended, but I got a kick out of him. Cause every time I come out and mow, He'd started to ejaculate right on the spot, and I'm like, "Well, he wants to be a boar. and I'm like, "Why are you doing this when I'm here?" Just you know, like, <laughs> show, you know, to show me that you do work, you know. And so I would be on the mower, and there he'd be, and he'd be done. Then he'd walk around like, "Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm alive. I'm, I'm somebody." You know, he kind of had that attitude, and I'm like, "Holy God, what is going on here?" And at that time, I think he was the only pig I really had on the farm cause I was just taking care of the farm. And uh, and so anyway, it got to the point where it was like early June and, and uh, I told Hogue, I said, Hogue, I want you to come and look at this boar and you tell me if I'm insane, does he have value? Cause I'd kept it pretty much on the down low. Cause I, I you know, I was just in a bind. I didn't know what to do. I, I was basically trying to get him fattened up to take him to market but I was a little afraid to take him to market because I'd given him enough medication for at least he was going to have to dry out. And so Dan comes down and he goes, holy cow, Lee, he is pretty, he's pretty good. Well, at that time I donated some pigs to Western with Marco, you know, pigs that, gilts that Josh and I might've shown or, you know, and I just donated some pigs. And so I told Mark Hogue, I said, Mark, I think you have a boar up here that you could probably use at Western and I'm willing to donate to you. So one thing led to another, Mark saw the boar, he thought he was incredibly good, square, good legged, really heavy boned. And uh, so I sent him to Mark Hogue's down at Western and I didn't hear anything for probably six months, didn't hear anything, didn't see anything. Well, Mark was full and Lance Ryan needed a boar. So Lance Ryan needed a boar, Lance Ryan used him. And then Cain Cosmaker went to Lance's look at pigs and he saw him and says, I got to use this boar. So he ends up going to, to Kane Cosmakers. Well, then Andy Rash and Mike McCoy stopped by and look at this boar. Mike McCoy thinks he's awesome. He takes him. Next thing I know, without my knowledge, all this is going on. Without my knowledge, they've named him Left for Dead and they're selling him selling semen on him and i'm just like and then i'm at austin and mike mccoy says how'd you find this boar he's awesome and and i'm just i, I didn't know what to say i said well and uh the moral of the story <laughs> is left for dead they named him left for dead and he actually produced and yeah he, he was at mccoy's for two or three years and did really well
2: yeah i remember seeing that hog and i i had obviously at that time had no idea and i was like what is this thing and, you know, <laughs> holy crap, kind of, and he was a big mature boar then. I mean, he wasn't, yeah. you know, the chubby little sh- show bear looking. And uh, then that's when I first heard the the brief story of like, yeah, you want to know why his name's left for dead? So uh, we had that, we had to pull that out. And that story is incredible. Uh, first of all, I guess the moral of the story is make sure you take care of your, your dang hogs that you drop off. <laughs> yeah. I mean...
0: But, and tell somebody that you're dropping off at a, at a farm.
2: Yeah, well, and you know, you, they should give you a lot of credit for that, Denzer, to keeping them alive. Well, I don't and,
0: remember, you know, to pick on those guys, I don't remember ever receiving any money, number one. <laughs> I told McCoy, I said, you know, you could send me a check once in a while. Just a <laughs> I said, there's some free seam and something. And they they just all laughed like, yeah, and I, but I never got a check. <laughs> and uh, then I told Mark Hogan, I said, what the? Yeah, I brought sent him to you. This was a donation. I did not expect this to go back around, and other people are going to make money on him. But I'm happy it worked out. I feel proud that I, I saved this poor this boar, and he had value, and it makes for a great story. And it is everything it. I can make up some of the best stories in the world and talk to anybody. But there's not one single thing about that story that I have made up. Now there may be some things in between the time I took him to Western and how he ended up at McCoy's that I don't know anything about, but from the time they took him to Western, uh, but from the time I saw him to the time we got him looking that way, I thought, wow. So then I, I was very happy when I found out that he was actually going to make a difference for some of the breeders. So I thought that was, I thought that was really cool. And, and it wasn't about, I don't know. It wasn't never about the money. It was about just general animal husbandry. And mm-hmm. that's I just couldn't yeah. live with myself. So, so. And what are,
3: what are the odds that a random Yorkshire board gets dumped at the farm and turns out to be a a boar good enough to sell semen on uh some yeah. point in his life? So yeah. That's,
2: that's, yeah. Uh, so that's
0: so, so the moral story. of the story is next time you drop something off, let me know so I get a better start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Get a contract <laughs> made up, maybe. <laughs>
0: yeah. Or at least uh, let's, let's try a little, little more organization here. So anyway.
3: (laughs) Folks, if you were in Des Moines, Iowa, or in Indianapolis, Indiana, or if you plan on being in Springfield, Illinois, or Louisville, Kentucky, you're going to see some very, very high quality images coming from none other than legacy livestock imaging. That's right. Heidi and Charles and team there at Legacy Livestock are going to be at all the junior shows this summer and even some throughout the fall and the remainder of the year. Folks, if you want to have high-quality imagery attached to your brand, your location, your show, your event, whatever it is, make sure to get a hold of them. Head on over to LegacyLivestockImaging.com today and get your livestock and people and other things taken pictures of because I tell you what, they are some of the best in the business. And great friends of ours, see livestock imaging.com. All right. Speaking of stories, I want to keep rolling on the story chain. We're going to skip, <clears throat> skip down here on our list of things to talk about. But one of the neatest things I think about lead-ins are that a lot of people close to you know the people that have been to Blackhawk know about you is your um your relationship with Alabama. And I'm not talking about the state in Alabama, uh, but, but the, the music group, the country band, uh, Alabama, and my dad, uh, is a huge Alabama fan. And when I, uh, had first heard about, uh, Lee connecting with one of the members of that group, um, I thought, no way, this is a fake story, uh, didn't happen. And, uh, so, Lee you've got an interesting story about uh your your connection with Alabama it came through of all things judging livestock um so let's let's dive into the I'm just going to call it the Alabama story
0: okay well first I'm a big fan of Alabama too and uh you know they were they were the uh when I can college like when they came when they made it their first number one hit was Tennessee River. It changed country music. They was almost like the Beatles. I mean, it was crazy, you know. And then they had 21 consecutive number one hits in a row. And so you if you love country music and you love some rock and roll, it was kind of a combination. So they were just fun. They were fun to dance to, party to, socialize, not socialize, work to, whatever. And they were just, it was fun music. And so I've always been one that, I mean, I don't care if it's Bon Jovi, if it's Blink 182, if it's Alabama. uh, I don't, I like all kinds of music. I try to stay modern too, but I wanna know their story. And I studied their story after I really enjoyed them so much. And I knew Randy Owen, lead singer, Teddy Gentry, the bass player were first cousins. And I knew Jeff Cook was a distant cousin And those guys were from Fort Payne, Alabama. And I learned over time that Randy Owen lost his dad in 1980, right before they hit it big. And one of the things about Randy Owen is he he never really got a chance to mourn because the show and their emphasis of becoming somebody was, it took so long. And then when they did, you know, they were big. And he, his, one of his dad's dream was to own pedigree cattle. And so as they as things unfolded in the early eighties, Randy established Tennessee river cattle, Tennessee river music cattle company. I may have that wrong, but Tennessee river basically. And, um, and just started, you know, getting cows and then they started showing and, and probably in the, And I'd see him at the shows, you know, I would see Randy and Teddy at the shows, but I mean, I never really thought to bother him and I don't want to bother him. And I didn't want to be, you know, a fan. I I just thought it was really cool that people that have had great success that are, you know, are in the cattle business. I thought it was really cool. I met Mel Gibson once he was standing right next to me at the gate down on the green dust at Louisville. And I, I didn't realize I was standing next to him. Uh, but I just thought that he was part owner on bear tooth ranch at that time. And I always thought it looked pretty cool. And I'd like, I wanted to know how they treated people. And, uh, and I saw Kenny Rogers, you know, he owned Hereford cattle and some of the, we had black hawk kids that work for him and they just said he was not a very kind person and didn't pay him very well. and I just stuff like that. I just always thought it was interesting. Well, anyway, long story short, Dan judge, Alabama or Dan judged, Hogan judged the National Hereford Show in Bozeman, Montana in like 2001 or so. And at that time, and I'll be darned if their, their youngest child, Randa Owen, was the one who loved the cattle of their three children. And in 2001, they went and I'll be darned if they didn't win champion heifer. And after that show, they talked to Dan and Randy and Dan built kind of a relationship and just right before that, we'd sent a couple students down there for work experience. So we kind of knew Randy, but we usually talked to the other people from the ranch to work. But we knew Randy. I knew him a little bit. Dan knew him better. Um, but they were just great people and they donated so much to help others. And I got asked in 2007 to judge the Alabama State Steer Show. And there were a lot of unknowns that I did not know going down there. I'm, i mean, I, I, knew at that time that Randy Owen had been on the junior livestock board at the Alabama spring, Alabama State livestock show. I knew that he had donated a lot of money to that show. And, but you know, I knew other people on the board too. So it wasn't like anything really special. Then, other than knowing him saying hello, you know, but I judged the steer show and I was judging a ton of steer shows. Then I was actually on the verge of, I was on the verge of probably getting to judge some of the major shows at that time because I was judging a lot and I was pretty, pretty hot at that time. And when you talk about judges earlier, you know, back then there were a lot of judges when I was judging there were all the great judges were in their fifties, sixties, even early seventies, you know, I'm only 61 and man, I'm archaic compared to a lot of committees. I mean, I don't get asked very often to judge and it, and it's fine. I don't, I don't, I've judged so much. I, it's fine, but it, but, and I'm, and I'm fine with all of that. But um, at that time, you know, I'm in my mid forties and I'm like, and I was really getting a chance to, You know, I don't want to say it felt like I was gone big time, but I was getting asked to do a lot. and I was flattered. It was fun. I met a lot of people and so forth. I go to the Alabama State Steers Show. They have like 150 steers. And of the 150 steers, they have 15 classes. Maybe 180, but they have 15 classes, five in the first division, five in the classes in the second division, five in the third division. So I get through the first division. Most of them are lighter weight, really not one, even if I wanted to use a lighter weight, um, just nothing really special in that first division. Second division, the class comes in first class, no problem. Second class, Randa Owen comes in. And obviously I know them. I knew a lot of kids down there, you know, but you just, if, if people think you do something because you know them, They don't know me and they don't understand judging because it's so obvious if you pick something that's not very good because you know, them, and they better be even better. If you know who they are, they better be better than good because you, you just want to be careful. And if they think you don't know people, then they're really naive. So anyway, she comes in with the show and she's got a red heifer and there's like only maybe five red heifers in the whole show. And this is a goggled eyed Hereford looking steer. And I'm telling you, he came in and I go, wow, that is a nice, nice Hereford calf steer. I'm just thinking, man, this is a nice steer. I never dreamt that he would be champion because I he was probably 1260 or 1280. He was, I just never dreamt that he would be champion because I knew I had like eight classes left and all the big ones. I actually like him to be a little bigger because I know from the carcass standpoint, you the best carcasses are out of cattle that are probably thirteen fifty to 14 and a quarter. So, but that doesn't mean that smaller cattle can't have great carcasses. And I've always been, you got to pick the best, best one, no matter what they weigh, as long as they're in that window. So this steer wins the division or wins the next class. And I just talked about how good he was, but she was. And a couple more, do we get to the end of the division? And I'm like, it's not even close. This guy's going to win this divi- middle division. I said, I thought there'd be just a couple power show steers, you know, from show steer people. And there wasn't. And so here they come, they win division two. So I get to division three and you're just kind of waiting for that great steer to come, you know, like great barrel, that great lamb, whatever, to come in that you're like, I can h- have a handle. This guy's the best. Well, I had a couple heavier steers that were good that were good, not great. They were just good. They were in like class 12 and 13 or 11 and 12. They were champion reserve in that third division. And at that time they didn't, they weighed their calves but they reweighed them and all this and that. Well, this kid that had the third steer, third class division, I asked him like three times what he steer weighed, And every time he seemed irritated and every time he told me a different weight and it started to irritate me. And because I was kind of leaning that way for possibly he might be champion and you know we just see how things paired up from there well i asked randa owen how what her calf weighs and she tells me the same thing every time and she said and she just so professional and i walked them for quite a while i studied them longer than i normally do i just don't i get my champions i'm done let's roll because i i cannot stand judges that take too long and i i really cannot i talk too much some of these newer judges as day and age, I would say they need to say a little less than what they say. But I think we get down there and I'm like, you know what? This is the best steer pound for pound. It's not even close. And so I picked them for champion and I picked the other boy for reserve. So I said, they're the best two steers. I didn't even think anything about it. And I get over to the, uh, backdrop for the pitchers and Randy Owen at that time, they were, were, Alabama wasn't playing because they'd had their reunion tour in 2003 and four, you know, and I, I just said, congratulations, Mr. Owen, you know, I'm just trying to be nice. I wasn't thinking to make a big deal about any of it. And Randy says to me, he goes, judge Denzer. And he started crying and he said, this is the biggest day in the history of my life and I'm like, inside my mind, I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> I said, this is Randy freaking Owen, like the god of country music that's crying in the backdrop. Emotional, I wouldn't say, but in tears, you know. And he said that, and then we talked a little bit more after the pictures, and he said, my dream has always been to have pedigreed cattle, to have my daughter like cattle, and to be competitive at this show. And I never, ever, ever dreamed that we would have a Red Steer be champion at the Alabama State Steer Show. And I'm speechless. And, well, I didn't know they hadn't had a Red Steer in 40 years when. I didn't know. This was Randall's last year in 4-H. And I didn't know no, all this other it stuff. It was all stacked together. Yeah, I didn't know any of this stuff. And so... Anyway, one thing led to another. I had to judge a show, the Tennessee aggregation a couple of days later, like three days later. So I was in that area and I'd driven and uh, they invited me to the ranch to look at cattle. I'm thinking, Randy Owen wants me to come to the ranch. I'm going to go look at cattle at this
1: ranch.
0: <laughs> and that's kind of how our friendship started. And then Kelly told me, they invited me for dinner a couple of times and then Uh, they just said if Randy's ever in the area or they're playing in the area to make sure to call because they'd be upset if they didn't miss a chance to see me. And then my brother died not long after that. And they both called me and that was, that was really special that they called. And, and then uh, it's just been kind of a special relationship. And then he made, I think Randy Mullinex and some others that have worked with him in the Herefords made it, the little audio thing for my uh, retirement party, and he made some comments that were pretty awesome and that they played. So he just is just pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. Oh man, and the best part about him, Randy and Teddy, but the best part about Randy is he's a regular guy, he cares more about others than he does himself. I consider him a role model because he came from nothing and he did it all by hard work. And he has given back probably as much as anyone could. I mean, they're getting close. He's the chairperson for St. Jude's research hospital, and they're getting close to a lip since he took over in 1989 country cares for kids, I think, or maybe it was earlier than that in the eighties, but they're getting close closer lips lips and over a billion dollars. Wow. And that's, that's just to get, that's one of the reasons he keeps playing too, is because he wants to be relevant so we can raise money for kids. I just, that's cool. That's way cool. I mean, so that's why, you know, and loving Alabama music is one thing, but actually in that happenstance situation that that happened now, the negative side of that is there were some steer people in Alabama that were pissed. <laughs> I mean, they were pissed and <laughs> those steer people. And they thought Rand, I picked it just cause it was Randy, they thought that I picked it. I got paid to pick it. Of course, And it was probably the death of my steer show judging right after that. They even called the campus. And we had an administrator at the time. Over the years, Dan and I and John Wolf, we were spoiled because if anybody called the school or the school board, which they did, if they were mad at us, they say, we believe in our people. We've watched them judge. We don't let them leave campus unless we trust them. Well, this administrator was new and she... She just said, I've heard things about Lee and she kind of believed them instead of me. And it turned in, it just turned into a real mess. And oh boy, Randy and I kind of laugh about it now, but I'm like, thanks to you. I don't get to judge any of the big ones. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know, but, uh, uh, I'm sure you know. wouldn't trade your relationship
0: with Randy Owen for more steer shows. No, so. <laughs> no. It was a blessing because I got to spend more time with Joshua. So things happen for a reason. So it's cool.
2: Man, really I love story time. The, the, those two stories back to back. I, I'm pretty sure the Alabama story may be way cooler, but uh, <laughs> no, that, that is fascinating. Uh, but switching yep. gears a little bit, we've talked a little bit about BHE and the barn and yep. some of the cool stories. Uh, but one of the things I wanted to talk about why we were on here was kind of how in your experiences, you said maybe 35 years in academia and, and all of that. In your opinion, what makes a successful student, a successful judge, uh, you know, just an, a successful kid? Because, you know, going from high school to a junior college is kind of a nice transition. But what are some of the tips you'd give maybe some of those parents and younger kids listening uh, to get a jump going into to school here come come August? Yep.
0: Well, I kind of, with the questions you guys sent me or some thoughts, I kind of, uh, wrote a couple things down, like tips for high school. These are like coming right out of, uh, right out of college, right out of high school. I think uh, number one, you really need to prepare for math and English. It just helps a lot. And I am one of the things that I hate the most as a student of "Well, I hate math and I don't give a damn if you hate math and English or not. If you want to be successful, figure out a way to get by it, you know, look at it as, the best students I've ever had have been ones that attack livestock judging the same way that they attack ma- their grades in math and English. It's not like you have to get straight A's, but just you have to you have to do that. And to me, that preparation is huge in high school. And you have to be smart enough to don't be too proud to seek help from like a tutor a counselor and do research yourself with your parents. Look up schools, talk to people. Talk to your counselors at high school and plan ahead, you know, plan ahead and organize your thoughts, you know, a year away, two years away. And the other thing about coming out of high school, you have got to surround yourself with not good, but great people who care about you, even if you are a broken family, even if you there is somebody at school that cares about you. I I guarantee if we asked every single student in high school, they could name one teacher that was special to them. And if they don't take advantage of that teacher, then it's a lost, it's just a lost opportunity. And then actually to me, the biggest things by far as once college starts it's so simple to be successful. is so simple. Number one, you gotta show up. You gotta show up to activities, you gotta show up to school and you gotta you got to go to class. You gotta go to class. Uh, and I hope like, heck, that as we get back after this COVID, this nightmare that we've all been through, that we actually have regular classes and not hybrid classes. And I understand there's reasons for some online and some reasons for some hybrid, but nothing will ever take the place of an actual teacher standing in front of students, uh, preparing students for their whatever, whatever career or whatever class they're in. So you got to show up, you got to ask questions, you can't either in private or in public, you have to ask questions and you have to ask for help. And to me, those are the three biggest things by far. Show up, ask questions, ask for help. Because if you're too proud to get help, if you're struggling in math and you don't ask somebody for help, you're you're missing out on an opportunity because people don't think less of you if you ask for help. They think more of you. And if you don't understand something, find somebody to help you understand it. And I I can't, you know, in my life, that's big. the The other one's kind of a whole different area, but you have got to prepare yourself for the dangers of nightlife and social life. It's one thing to be, you know, I would never discourage any college student from going to a party or a gathering, or I would never discourage a student if they wanted to have one serve age, you know, or whatever. I, I don't care. I think there's anything wrong with having a cold beer. Um, but if it ever, comes at the expense of you showing up to class then it's a problem and i always tell parents i said if your kid is in his own place by 11 on weeknights and midnight or one latest on a weekend they're probably going to be not getting trouble but if you want to be recognized and you want to be somebody at a party it's it's a false false it's just a false situation that can really lead people down a very bad road. And there are a lot of people out there that want to party with you that don't give a darn about you. And so to me, that that is huge. And, uh, that's kind of how I, you know, that's my tips for high school, just randomly. I mean, there's a ton of things we could talk about, but that's the biggest stuff. I mean, if I say one thing, and you get the college show up, mm-hmm. ask questions.
2: Well, that's huge. And you kind of touched them all academically. And, you know, people really don't talk about the college, the actual life, college life, the nightlife, like you described it. But that's part of it. And, you know, you want to be active, you want to meet people, but you got to balance it. And you have to know when and, and how and learn early before it's too late. That's, I I appreciate you touching on the full spectrum because, Kids need to know that. And parents need to hear that too, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah. I think one of the Trevor, uh, Corey, one of the biggest things that Blackhawk has been so special over the years and uh, maybe a misconception to some, but it's not just a livestock judging school and a lot of schools that are have good judging teams. I don't, you know, Lakeland, ICC, all the ones in the West and Lincoln land and Illinois and all the above, but you know, What's really cool, especially now with all these junior shows and all the species and these national shows and regional shows and all that, is that kids get a lot of experience. And when they come to school, what really's is cool, like you, like you and Corey's friendship, it didn't happen because you, you might have met at a social gathering, but you probably met in school first. Yep. And it has evolved into a friend, long term friendship, a business, however you want to describe it. But, you know, I'd probably hate to think how many shows or sales the two of you have been to together <laughs> or told each other about. And to me, that's one of the real things that's so cool is somebody's like, I'm going to go look at pigs at such and such, or I'm going to go look at calves at such and such. Somebody hops in with you and they just go. Yep. And you go do that all the time. And to me, that is what really, really separates Blackhawk from maybe a lot of other schools is that we encourage that and we try to get it to as many places like that so that kids will feel comfortable going there if they want.
3: Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, there's no doubt. We've we've brought it up many times that um, the, the connections that, really the entire spider web of connections that have been built just through Blackhawk as a school uh, you know it doesn't just transcend through your own class or you know group that you're in there with for two years I mean it goes well beyond decades above and below your own age group and it extends well past uh, what you do and 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 Blackhawk is special to Trevor and I for that reason but I, I think there's other schools out there that have have learned um, that that is a huge part of our industry, and the reason that we're all, um, you know, wanting to to be successful and 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 that sort of thing. So, speaking of being successful, we're going to jump into our segment before we wrap things up. Uh, that we call drop the mic and Corey this week I'm happy to announce that we do have a sponsor
2: for drop the mic hey guys it's Levi with formula champion show feeds we are so excited to have you back on and just get our Wednesday rituals back in action The only thing that may make us more excited are the results pouring in every weekend after these jackpot shows from our Formula Champions customer base. We've had quite a run at these early sheep and goat shows already in many states and also hearing a lot of great things and have more show pig families using our smooth design program than ever before. We're opening up new dealers in Montana, Idaho, Texas, Florida, and so many more. And I know a lot of that has to do with our partnership and awesome exposure we've gotten from the great folks at Stock Talk. If you haven't had the chance to check it out yet, you can get on our website, formulaofchampions.com or Formula of Champions on Facebook and other social media platforms. Remember, you're not truly feeding to win unless you're feeding Formula of show feeds. Well, thank you, and congratulations to the Richards family on uh, the birth of their new son. So anyway,
3: back to you, Corey. This this segment was uh, created, Trevor and I were talking about how do we how do we bring something extra Uh, to stock talk that allows our guests to maybe uh, not necessarily get something off their chest, but just be able to share their message uh, to those in the livestock industry, no matter what their level of success or involvement is. So uh, Denzer, it's your turn to drop the mic. (laughs) Uh,
0: Well, I will say this. Um, Number if we're we're trying to just talking about livestock shows and, and judging um, I think everybody wants to win at life and everybody wants to win at a show, but we shouldn't focus as much on winning as we should on preparation, preparation and observation and learning is where it starts. You I've got some pigs that are going to the summer conference. I think they're pretty good. But it I've been working my, you know, I've been working my tail off for the last 4 months and I've really intensified the last 6 weeks every day every night working on these pigs, making sure they're eating the right way, making sure their their skin is right. And I'm preparing, like, you know, I wanna be, want them to look the very best they can possibly look. I'm not gonna worry about the judge. The judging will all take care of itself. Um, winning and all that should take care of itself. And I think we lose sight of all of that because everybody wants to go to the show and everybody thinks somebody knows somebody. And believe me, you're not gonna win every time but you can prepare to win every time and i can't say that enough to parents or their children but i see it in sports i see it in. i see it in uh, livestock showing as these parents spend so much money and spend so much time and boy if they don't win it's you know i've even heard people say uh you know you you uh, win or die. And it's like, what? You know, and like in sports and it's like, they take off and they just spend thousands and thousands, thousands of dollars. And, you know, winning does not have a dollar value. Winning has a preparation value. Yes, it costs some money to be successful. But if people ask me on business, how do you get your, how are you and Josh or how did your pigs look so nice? And and I say, well, the number one thing is I rinse and repeat. <laughs> I mean, I rinse and repeat twice a day. And it sounds really silly, but if you rinse and repeat twice a day, the bowel movements are going to be better. They're going to have more intake. You're going to be able to see the composition of both. And they're going to feel better. Like us, we take a shower or two a day. Your animals are going to feel better too, like we do. Um and then you know stay on some type of a regiment with regard to that and and ask for help because if if you're doing all of this stuff and all this preparation and you get in the vehicle when you go home and you don't have any more friends than you did before you left, what's the value? And if you get in your vehicle and you don't set a goal or you know, to have a chance to be successful you know, what are you thinking about? You know, when I leave a show, I'm like, okay, I'll probably buy something at the summer conference to try to make my next year's pigs better. And because I want younger people than me to enjoy the pollens and to show pollens and have success. Just, I made that commitment in my retirement. And plus I, it gives me a reason to go to the barn. It gives me a reason to keep plugging away. And that's, you know, that's important to me, um, but you got to find a circle of friends, and you always need to be adding to your circle of friends because if you, but if you're not nice, I'm afraid in our whole society, we just always think of the worst first. We're negative. There's just so much negativism out there. And I choose to be positive, and I choose to be nice. And that doesn't mean I like everybody, and that doesn't mean I don't have my down days, and that doesn't mean that I don't have. My own really serious thoughts about certain things, but being nice and being helpful and trying to be prepared and observant are just going to let you have a chance to be a lot happier. Because if I read things on Facebook sometimes about what well, we just don't have the money to compete, that's a bunch of hogwash. If you if you found the right person to help you, chances are going to be much better. Because I can promise you. I can promise you the hardest hardworking people will be the ones that end up doing the best. Amen, Denzer. Um, and I can't, I can't say that enough about it. Now I will say one last thing. You guys, we were talking about judging earlier and you are right. One of you, I think one of your both uh, said, Corey or Trevor said, you know, that boy, when they get out of school, all they want to do is judge shows. One thing that I would always caution young judges is, don't don't go so fast you know don't want and not everything's about the next show you know i know i think some of the livestock committees try to find that new hot judge or something sometimes i think it'd be better to just make sure you really select someone who has confidence has some experience um i mean i've seen some people judge at the national show that i frankly think they could be great but they they needed a little bit more experience at the county level at a at a small jackpot show or whatever they're just going to be better judges over time um i can tell you right now when joshua started showing from the moment he started showing the day after he started showing i was a much better judge than i was before because i looked at it through the eyes of a parent instead of the eyes of a teacher mm-hmm. or a judge and um you know it was pretty funny a couple of years i'll leave you with this a pretty couple funny a couple of years ago and i saw uh um it was at the uh, world in 19 2019 at the world pork expo and one of the days I mean, kids and parents were just yelling at each other, irritating kids. Parents were telling their kids this. They were inside the ring. Says, "What are you doing?" You know, and all the above. Well, one of the reasons that the kids were irritated and then the parents were irritated is the show land last, lasted until like eleven o'clock the night before. Shows, judges, shows have got to organize so that they're done in a reasonable time. Judges need to go faster, quicker, be more efficient, and. I can be the fastest judge in the history of judges if that's what they want me to do. But you have to be confident that you cannot stand there and whittle waddle around, you've got to go, you've got to go. And luckily I had some experiences in Louisiana as a young person where at 800 lambs and start eight o'clock in the morning and I wanted to be done by five. I had to be done by five because they had something else going. It's like 800 lambs, a lot of lambs. And that's a lot of bending over and, uh, you know, handling lambs and anyway, and there were other things too, pig shows at 1600 head or something. And so you just learn to go, but no one is gonna be happy if they don't get to bed till after midnight the next morning when they go to a show. Parents are gonna be happier if they can let their kids swim at the hotel. They're gonna be happier if they get a chance to eat together with their family at a decent meal and then get to bed at a reasonable time and then go at it again the next day. It's it's not even it's a it's a concept that is so simple that and I've heard judges just talk forever. I mean, Hogan and I can talk forever, but we're brief compared to some of them I listen to. <laughs> and you gotta remember when you talk, make sure the people that you're listening and the audience understand what you're talking about. I watched something on from the show out uh in the, the the recovery, and I swear to god, guys, it's not I'm not picking on anybody, I don't even know their names but they were talking about stuff that I'm trying to figure out what the hell, what does that even mean? You know, what's wrong with, he wins cause he or she wins. Cause they're the nicest balanced. They have the most bone, you know, they have the most muscle when they they move sounder. I'm not saying we, we can make it a little more colorful, but the audience has to understand they don't have a judging clinic in their ear, you know, learning all this. And, and I, I, I just think maybe some of the younger ones, you know, don't be afraid to get experience before you go. And that helps a lot. And that's kind of how things have changed, you know. So I'm an old I'm an old I'm old in the judging circle, so to speak, but but I uh I love the livestock industry and I love the competition and I really, really enjoy helping others. So it's about all I got guys. I probably went way over.
2: Oh, so it's good stuff. That's why, uh, you know, so many times we, we, we can talk a lot, but Corey and I got in the, the, the process of, you know, Hey, we need to probably let our guests do some, th- do some talking, do more talking. And we just shut up and listen. And that's why exactly why we did it Denzer. Cause, uh, I'm sure people think about it and, uh you just kind of hear where you're coming from. So really, really appreciate it. Uh, I hope things are going well. Uh, they're out west from where I sit today. And uh, I really appreciate you jumping on here and taking an hour out of your busy schedule. And good luck with the polling business. I'll be watching here from Ohio.
0: That sounds great. If I can help you guys anytime, anywhere, don't be afraid to call or text.
2: Oh, Mr. Edge, another good one. Um, <laughs> who would have thought when we were at BHE, That we would uh, be interviewing Lee Denzer on a podcast several years
3: later. I wouldn't have ever thought that, uh, to be honest. But what a great episode, a great mind, a legend, uh, incredible stories. I mean, just incredible stories. So yeah, you can be happier to have Denzer on board.
2: Yeah, I mean... Jeez, we could go many directions with more stories, and who knows, there might be a part two. Uh, but we hope you got something out of that, guys. Um, everybody listening, we hope that you're enjoying this comeback. We've got a very stacked deck as we get into it. So uh, we appreciate every single one of you. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, good luck at the exposition. Good luck the rest of the summer showing wherever you are, with whatever species you are, because that's the time of the year we're in, folks. I love it. Mr. Edge, you got anything to add?
3: I really don't, Trev. I think you about covered it all, and we've had a great, great uh, few episodes here so far to get us kicked off in this season. Looking forward to more. Uh huh. Yes. We'll see you next week.
2: Join us next week, folks. Catch you later.